Welcome to New Hope's teaching podcast. This is an excerpt from our Sunday morning service. Visit newhopepdx.org teaching for notes, worship, and church announcements. Stay up to date with our teaching series and events by downloading our app. Just text New Hope PDX app to 77977. Enjoy this week's lesson. Hello, New Hope. I'm Mike. I'm one of the pastors here. Now, every year or two, Steph and I have some family photos that are taken over in Central Oregon by a friend of ours. The first time we took these photos was about four years ago. You can see some of those pictures from that shoot. A little bit outdated. We only had three kids then, and obviously our kids are growing and changing rapidly. But look at these. Such a perfect family. Look at how happy everyone is. We've got it all put together, our kids are well-behaved, they're smiling and goofing off. We're just living the dream. Well, what that picture doesn't tell you is that I was in a really bad mood that day. I didn't want anything to do with family photos. I didn't want them taken, or at least I didn't want a few hundred of them taken, maybe one or two. And my one, three, and five-year-old were not doing everything I wanted them to do for some reason. Now, there were probably some bigger issues that were happening on that particular day, and it wasn't just about the photos themselves. But in that moment, it was all about the photos. I was mad, and I was happy to show everyone around me that I was mad. I was essentially acting like a four-year-old throwing a tantrum. Sorry to any of the four-year-olds that are watching right now. Now, these photos are picture-perfect. But there is plenty of ugly that is hiding behind those well-chosen and well-edited photos. Now, I don't really want you to see that part, though. I want you to see the things that look so nice, the things that look perfect. Now, we're going through this sermon series right now called, What Does That Mean? And we're talking about words that are significant in the biblical story and exploring ways that they've been misunderstood, and then also exploring some ideas for how to better understand those words. And this has been important because these words kind of help shape our view of who God is and who we are and the world around us. So, so far, John has taken us through tov, which is goodness, and charis, which is grace. And last week, Denise took us through mishpat, which is justice. Now, this week, we're looking at Helios, which is perfect. Now, many of you may have noticed that um, in a lot of my sermons, I say there's no use pretending any of us are perfect. This is something that I've been saying for most of the sermons I've preached here at New Hope and anywhere else. Uh, where I've preached as well. And I've just, had, I've just kind of made it a habit to say that as much as I can. I do this because I think we kind of need this reminder all the time. I know you're not perfect. You know I'm not perfect. But we all like to pretend sometimes. But there's no use because we both know the truth. 
Knowing the truth, though, causes a little problem for us because Jesus had some words about being perfect. We're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew today. Matthew has five big blocks of Jesus's teaching, and the first of them in the whole book is what we commonly call the Sermon on the Mount. You can find that in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. And today we're going to be in chapter 5, starting in verse 43. Jess is going to be doing our public reading of scripture today. Matthew 5, 43 through 48. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are you not, are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the word of the Lord. So who are you going to believe? Me, who says there's no use pretending that any of us are perfect? Or Jesus, who says, be perfect? Well, I mean, you should definitely believe Jesus, but these words that he's saying, they're a little hard to swallow, and I think often they're misunderstood. When you hear those words, be perfect, as my heavenly Father is perfect, what does that make you think? You can even just... Put some things in the chat there if you want to respond. What does that make you think when you hear that phrase? Maybe it makes you think that you have to live a sinless life. Jesus said it, so there you go. I have to live a perfectly sinless life. This idea largely came out of the Wesleyan holiness movement of the 19th century, which taught that there was a second work of grace that brought about Christian perfection. Now, the Church of God comes out of this movement, So obviously, with our adoption of Mount Scott Church of God, there are people who are watching this right now who maybe have a theology that's like that. Now, some of what I say today may push on that a little bit, but just know that I understand where that perspective is coming from, and I'm happy to talk about it further. Maybe this verse makes you think that, you know, you've got to just act perfectly all the time, always making the right decisions, having your life all together, producing things that are perfect so that you're always representing God well. We call that perfectionism, and it's actually a really big issue for a lot of people. In preparing for this sermon, I was reading about how there are three different kinds of um, perfectionism that psychologists have identified. First, there are those who are self-motivated. It's not about receiving praise from others. It's just an internal feeling that nothing they do is good enough, no matter how great everybody else thinks that they are. Second, there are those who think everyone else has high standards and they just aren't able to meet them. These are the kinds of people who don't want to try something new in front of others because they don't want to look stupid. Third, there are those who have high standards for themselves but also project those standards onto other people as well. They expect everybody else to be just as perfect as they are. This is a a lot of weight that we put on ourselves 
and on other people as well. In fact, it can have some pretty damaging effects on us. I'm gonna ask you to work in the chat there uh, um, online a little bit more here. Give some responses. What do you think are some of the damaging effects that perfectionism can have on a person? There might be things like eating disorders, obsessive compulsive disorder, depression, divorce, anxiety, suicide. All of these things are, the, are, are results that exist because when a person is caught up with being perfect, there's a constant fear of failure and a feeling of never being satisfied with oneself or maybe even with others, no matter how good things might actually be. It's constant scrutiny that we apply to ourselves and others. It's looking for those things that aren't right. What can we find that doesn't meet our standards? Now, let me tell you one of the ways that this manifests itself in my own life, and this is a personal information that I'm sharing with you. It's a little bit embarrassing for me to share, but there's no use pretending any of us are perfect, right? So every night when I go to bed, I lay my head down, and as soon as my head hits that pillow, I think through my whole day, all the events and all of the personal inter interactions that I had. And automatically, I think about everything that I didn't do right. What the work that I didn't do well, the things that I should have said but didn't, the things that I did say but shouldn't have, all the missteps that I made. And there are always plenty of them. And if it's, if it's a particularly bad day by my standards, then when I wake up, I'll wake up starting my day with those thoughts too. Oh, I hope today isn't as bad as yesterday. And I wouldn't even call myself a perfectionist. But apparently, I have some pretty high standards that I try and hold myself up to. And I think a lot of people do that as well. We hold ourselves up to pretty high standards in our society as well. In my opinion, one of the worst phrases in our society that's currently trending is do better. Now, like, don't get me wrong. I'm all about self-improvement. I'd love to do better. I'd love it if things were better. And there are times when that phrase seems really applicable. But this phrase is often used like a weapon, a shame weapon in our culture. You didn't do something that I agree with. It doesn't meet my standards. Do better. You're not good enough. And until you improve, you're not worthy of my love. It seems um, like this phrase is used to address, I've seen it used to address everything from like major moral failures or racism, which are things that obviously, yes, we want to be better. We want to see things get better there to like reviews for businesses online or just comments on social media that people make to one another. The tone is almost, it almost always comes across with such disdain that I think it must really be hard for the person who's receiving that comment to feel like they're loved at all, which is probably part of the goal in saying it. So there's perfectionism generally, and then there's the standards that we hold to ourselves in society. But when we apply those feelings to areas of our relationship with God, it kind of takes things up a notch. We hear that we need to be perfect, and because we love Jesus and we want to follow him well, 
We give it all our all. You got it, Jesus. I'm going to be perfect now. You know, and maybe things are going pretty well for a little while. And then, you know, a little bit of pride sets in and uh, then you slip up a little bit and the shame starts coming. And then there's despair because you think you're never going to get it right. And then inevitably, the cycle starts all over again. A little bit of success, maybe some pride, a little bit of failure, and then some shame and despair. Eventually, we might get to a place where we question if God is really good or if he's setting us up for a standard that we can't even achieve just so he can say, do better. And when we can't, we find out that we can't actually do better, we question, why are we even trying? I don't think this is what Jesus wants from us at all. I mean, just a little bit later in the Gospel of Matthew, he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. The yoke is everything that he's asking of us, and learn from me. For I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke, the things I'm asking of you, they're easy and my burden is light. Jesus isn't asking us to do better. He's offering relief from the burden of feeling like you're never going to measure up. So what does Jesus mean then when he says, be perfect? Well, the word teleos is, it's a word that's rich with meaning. It can have the sense of perfect, perfect, but there's a lot more to it as well. And there's nothing in English that's going to, you know, capture it exactly. It's used throughout the Bible many times, both in the Greek Old Testament and in the New Testament. And when it's used, it's often, it often has this sense of wholeness or completeness. Here are a few verses um, for examples for you. Solomon, when dedicating the temple, said to everyone gathered, and may your hearts be fully committed to the Lord your God. That fully committed is the word there. In the Psalms, it says, may I wholeheartedly follow your decrees that I may not be put to shame. That wholeheartedly is the word there. And the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness, when teleos comes, what is in part disappears. What we see in these examples and in many other passages where teleos is used is that it's not a call to moral perfection, but one of wholehearted orientation toward God. This is what God has always wanted from people. Not to be perfect rule followers, but to be wholeheartedly committed to him. Like in Isaiah, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules that they have been taught. Understanding teleos as a wholehearted orientation towards God makes a lot of sense within the context of the Sermon on the Mount. An overarching theme for the sermon is that God is more concerned about how our heart or internal life aligns with our actions than just our behavior alone. 
You can see that pretty prominently in this particular section that we're looking at in the sermon. Jesus' statement to be perfect is kind of a bookend statement that completes a section that begins earlier in verse 20 of chapter 5, where he says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. He starts with that statement, and then he concludes with his statement about being perfect. And in between, he has six other things that kind of are the illustrations or the examples of what he's talking about. He says things like, you've heard it said, you shall not murder. But I tell you, if you're harboring anger and hatred for somebody, you've already murdered them in your heart. You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you, if you look at a person lustfully, you've already committed adultery in your heart. You've heard it said, don't break any oath that you make. But I tell you, you shouldn't even have to make an oath. Just do the things that you said you were going to do. In other words, God doesn't care so much about how your life looks on the outside. He's more concerned about what's happening in your heart and how it aligns with what everybody else sees. That's what teleos is. It's integrity of the inside and the outside. It's a wholeness, a completeness. What Jesus is calling us to is that righteousness that goes beyond the scribes and the Pharisees. Now, if there's anybody who thought they were living the perfect life, it was the scribes and the Pharisees. They did everything right. They were the quintessential moral perfectionists. But Jesus was always contending with them, and he was contending with them on this very issue. He called them hypocrites. He called them whitewashed tombs. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. It's like my family photos. Those photos look pretty good, but what was actually happening behind the scenes was ugly. When what's happening in our hidden lives doesn't match what everyone else sees, we're not living with wholeness, with teleos. Whatever is happening in our inner life is the more important thing. You can look good, but if you aren't dealing with the junk that is in your hidden life, and if you're not letting God enter into those spaces and bring healing and change, you will continually create a divergence between who you are and who you project yourself to be. But the more we live in wholeness with a singular life, the more these things come into line, you know, who we are really and who we project to be, I think we feel more fully human, well-connected with God and other people, relieved from the pressure of trying to be perfect. That's not an easy thing to do, though. Plus, here's the thing. You and I can fake being, being perfect to most people a lot of the time. We can put a good front and make people think we've got things all together. In fact, I think that's kind of our default most of the time. David Benner, a psychologist and a spiritual director, wrote, Everything within me wants to show my best pretend self to both other people and God. This is my false self, the self of my own making. But there's no use pretending that any of us are perfect, right? So 
in the chat again for you to respond. Why do you think we do that? Why do you think we pretend we've got it all together and that we're doing the right thing? I know you'll have your own ideas, and here are some as well. Maybe we're afraid of not being loved. We don't want to feel shame. We don't want to be exposed. Maybe it fills our pride bucket a little bit. Or we feel like we have to earn respect or love from God or from others. Maybe we feel like we're more likely to get what we want if we have the right behavior. I think we feel a lot of pressure from feeling like we're going to be rejected by either someone close to me or by society at large if people were to know who I really am. We need to relieve that pressure from each other. And our scripture today is connected with how we can do that through a sincere love in the midst of many flaws. Jesus says in our passage again, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are, you not, are, are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? It seems pretty easy to me right now to reject people who don't think like me, don't act like me, don't look like me, don't do the things that I want them to do, don't say the things that I want them to say. I don't like their agendas. I don't like their politics. I don't like their decisions. And whether or not I would actually say it, in some sense, they're my enemies. We need Jesus's words now just as much as ever. I love how Jesus kind of seems to address a progression of things that are seemingly small and things that are seemingly large. Things like, are you even going to greet people who aren't your own people? Will you associate with someone who isn't on your team or in your camp? Will you love someone who doesn't love you back? Will you love your enemy? Would you actually provide for their good? Would you pray or advocate? Would you advocate to God on behalf of those who would hurt you? Part of being teleos or whole as God is teleos is the ability to love beyond the bounds of our comfort, to be in relationship with someone who is other, to love even when it's not reciprocated to love those who are opposed to you and to advocate for those who would hurt you. Now, what if we extended that idea even to the idea of projecting a more perfect version of who we are? What if you knew that you wouldn't be rejected even if people saw all of who you were? What if you didn't have to hide 
behind a veneer of a more perfect version of yourself in order to be loved, loved and accepted by another. Because there's no use pretending that any of us are perfect, right? We can relieve that pressure from each other when we take the opportunities to love people well, even when they're ugly. Uh, I don't mean physically ugly. I mean, you know, in their character, acting ugly. To care for people well, even when they're at their most flawed, and to see people for who they really are. The more experiences that we share like that, the less we hide, which means the less we keep trying to be perfect. This goes back to that family photo session for me. I was pretty ugly during that time, but thankfully my family loves me in the midst of my ugliness and in the midst of my flaws, and we're able to get beyond that, and it's because of that love that we have that we're able to have intimate relationships. If you're like me though, you're hearing this and you're thinking, okay, great, I don't have to like act perfectly all the time, but I also don't feel like I'm whole, like I've got the teleos life going on. That doesn't seem any easier to me. I mean, honestly, preparing for this sermon this week has not been very pleasant for me because I'm confronted with, with what I'm trying to teach. And what I'm trying to teach, I don't always live out so well. I've had to deal with a lot of anger lately. I feel myself putting on more of a facade, trying to present something better than what it actually is. I sense that divergence between what's happening internally for me and what's happening externally for me. Maybe you do too. <laughs> Please tell me I'm not the only one. This is where real transformation comes in though. You and I have ugly parts about us. We don't like to show that to other people, and we even try to conceal it from God. But God knows. And what he asks from us to love our enemy, to love people when they're at their most flawed, he offers to us beyond what we're even able to do. Because he really is teleos, whole and complete, and he's even perfect. So the love that he offers to us is whole and complete and perfect. And most importantly, it's transformational. Just as when we show love in the midst of flaws, it provides the opportunity for a safe space for a person to open up and reveal more of who they are, God's perfect love is where we find the safest place where we can truly reveal all of who we are. See, you may hear all that's being said today and think, okay, I just need to try harder to get my internal life and my external life in line. I just need to work more at being whole. I just need to do better. But honestly, you really can't. I mean, you can for a little while and, in, and maybe in certain areas of your life, but the kind of change that you and I need isn't something that we can achieve by trying. It comes about by recognizing that you can't earn God's love and you can't manipulate him into trying to do better, by trying to do better. There are no points 
that you can earn with him. And it's not a sliding scale of goodness either. When we have a real, a very real recognition of all the ugliness that we carry and God's very real unconditional love for us, in that space, that's where we start to experience transformation. Again, another quote from David Benner. The single most important thing I have learned in over 30 years of study of how love produces healing is that love is transformational only when it is received in vulnerability. In other words, as long as you're trying to please God, presenting the better part of yourself or feeling like you're earning his love in some way, then you won't experience the way that his love can actually change you. And rather than experience the transformation he can do in our lives, we'll keep trying to just do better on our own because the fear that we have about how will be, uh, the fear that we have about how we'll be received by others or by God. The Apostle John wrote, there is no fear in love, but perfect teleos, love, drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who's, who fears is not made teleos, perfect in love. I wish I could say that there are simple, concrete steps to take for you to experience God's love. But like any relational thing, it's not simple and concrete. But see, here are some things for you to think about on experiencing God's love. Foster self-awareness. You have to realize who you really are, the real you and not the false one that you project. Bring the ugliest parts of you to God. Don't go to God more spiritual than you actually are. Turn to Jesus every time you're tempted to just do better yourself. And finally, linger with God. Spend slow time meditating on how he loves even the most flawed parts of you. The more we experience that love, the more we have to give the, uh, to, uh, to others, which translates directly into what Jesus is talking about on the Sermon on the Mount, that I won't just act good, but I will love well, and I'll be more teleos, I'll be more whole, but I won't be completely teleos or whole because there's no use pretending any of us are perfect, right? Let me pray. Our loving Father, you are whole, complete, perfect, and your love is whole and complete and perfect. And I know, God, that it is the foundational thing that actually changes lives. I pray, Father, for myself and for everyone who's watching this, that you would help us to have a more real experience of your love and that that would create change in us and transformation in us and form us more into the image of your son, Jesus God, I pray that um, and you've called us to be teleos, to be whole. So I know that you are the one who can make it happen. So I pray that you would. We love you. Amen.